Welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host from the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Hey there. How y'all doing? I just come back from seeing my family down south, and apparently this accent just took root in my brain all over again. How are you wearing a cowboy hat and a trucker cap at the same time? <laughs> it's a mesh-backed cowboy hat. I've never seen that. Also joining us, Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA Productions. I celebrate your new diction. Well, yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I'm like, ooh, lordy. I mean, it's like uh, everything's all haywacky. Quite. Is your family Boomhauer? <laughs> <laughs> well, some. <laughs> I was going to give you a chance yeah. to actually answer that yeah, one. No, yeah. We are not joined by regular co-hosts, one of the pastors of Christ Church, Lee Younger. We are sitting down to do a quick little huddle for this episode. We're going to uh, put together a holiday themed best of say that here Uh, we are in that magical time when you've seen your family for thanksgiving and you're emotionally mentally spiritually preparing to maybe do that again at christmas yeah and uh, we have some travel schedules and whatnot as well so we didn't have time to do a full episode this week we figured maybe some wisdom from the past to fortify Mm. you for that joyous occasion (laughs) but before we get into that i must declare an all-new and includes for this episode, Emergency. What? what? Here's the thing. We did the Gripesgiving. Yeah. And it was it was a hit. Oh, we yeah. griped it. Yeah. We had we had the official uh, Gripesgiving here in yes. Chicago that neither Glenn nor I were able to attend this year, much to our chagrin. But we yes. had uh, Jed and Hallie and our friends Pete and Tasha and a, a new edition of some of our amazing podcast superfans slash bridge volunteers, Ben and Amanda and Miss Jenna, were able to... Really, you know, it, it. I imagine it's like doing Thanksgiving at Plymouth. Oh yes, absolutely. right. It's really, this is this is the real deal. Yeah, and we got to give a shout out to Ben. He served. He was thrust right into the heat of it. Served as Gripes Master. Wow. Oh wow. Did a fantastic job. Right off the bench to Gripes Master. That's so, rookie cool. Gripes Master. That's pretty. Uh, that that's that's big shoes to fill. And he filled them well. Wow. So it was. Okay. Uh, I don't want to say a good time was had by all, because that's not really in the spirit of Gripes sure. Giving. A rageful time. A rageful time was had by all. I, I will say that um, the Bowl of Wrath was um, still in place when we came back <laughs> from the trip with all of the Gripes yeah. in it. And I gave him a read-through. Yeah. And uh, I really missed uh, hearing the gripes themselves based on the notes there. Well, of course, it should be noted for obvious and legal reasons, no recording devices of any kind right. are permitted at gripes given. Oh, no. It's a it's a county jail level pat down. There's no no documentation of gripes giving. Yeah. Yeah. There were there were there were a lot of really strong, really potent uh so, some some uh, institutions didn't do well <laughs> at all based on that. So yeah, Some Q ratings went down. Yeah. Well, and uh, out of that, we've also heard of people who tried to really take their gripes giving with them, even though they couldn't be here. We, right. Um, I was I was in, in Tennessee on Sunday and at, at Christ Community there with the nice people. And uh, uh, our friend Tim mentioned that he had tried to get a gripes giving going at his family, mm. but... He he ended up just being the only one griping. He, he said he said to me, "It's not that much fun when it's just me yelling." And I informed him that um, that's how most gripes givings devolve into just everyone else sitting silently while Glenn yells. That's right. So it's really you know you're doing fine, but it's right. catching on, and yeah. there seems to be some momentum behind it. We heard 
we saw a lot of people come in on the social medias there to, oh, okay. reporting on their attempts to really get into the gripes giving spirit. So I thought, how can we expand this out? Because mm. we're coming up on the Christmas season. Yes. Right. And if ever there was a time to be exploited. Yes. It is the Christmas season. There's yeah. a lot of themed money to be made there. So a lot of loot changing hands. Indeed. I in the and in pursuit of loot, mm. I come to you. Well done. Thank you. To say that Gripesgiving committee mm. to say, how can we take this Gripesgiving spirit, this zeitgeist we seem to have captured, mm. and apply it to Christmas? Oh, man, that's oh, wow. great. Well, in, in the spirit of Gripesgiving, we'll begin by ripping someone off. Please. Um, so uh, in high school, big fan of Dave Letterman. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Watch show all the time. And uh, they had, this is a for real thing, they had a holiday tradition one year where if a joke bombed, they would bring on just over the, the intercom a loud voice going, ho, 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 that really sucked. And I feel like that really, that captures, that brings Gripesgiving right. into Christmas. So that's a place to start. We're right. nakedly ripping off someone else, but sure. again, that's in keeping with the Gripesgiving tradition. Absolutely. I think injecting judgment is important. Right, yeah. Well, you know, uh, here's, here's what I'm saying is, you know, we all believe, uh, we had a topic on the, the podcast recently about uh, giving thanks and, sure. uh, the, you know, how that's important and a big part of our Christian walk. Uh, so we, we believe in that. Totally. We, we, we love that. 364 days a year. <laughs> when when Gripesgiving comes around, we, we're, we're taking one day to acknowledge that the venting and the getting stuff off your chest is also important, and that's that's great. So it's sort of this point counterpoint. Sure, ah, thing, sure. a little bit of yin and yang. But when it comes to Christmas, mm. man, is that ever something that really needs a counterpoint? Ah. Yes, and uh, because uh, there's a lot going on there. Yep, there's a lot that that just we've all had enough. I, I love it, and I'm going to pitch you this exactly okay. on that rundown. Because you know what's big is the Christmas movies. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, on the TV with the claymation and whatnot. Right. But, you know, it's kind of the same ones. So I'm pitching, you know how, like, uh, there's there's Christian movie companies that'll take, you know, whatever the blockbuster is and edit it down so it's yeah. it's G-rated, essentially. Yeah. Um, We could do that, but we chop the ending off all the Christmas movies so they just end really awful and sad. <laughs> oh, man, that makes me happy. <laughs> you know, it's like you get to the end, it, Rudolph... It just cuts off at the part where, like, you you look funny, and you'll never be a dentist because you're an elf, and elves can't be dentists. All right, coming up next on ABC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, now here's uh, here's what I'm thinking. Okay, you, you got your you got your Christmas, yeah, and whatnot, and it's just you know, and it's one of those things where you tell yourself to be happy. This is what I this is what happens with Christmas. You say, you know, it's Christmas. We should be happy. Sure, and you think, well, all the songs. It's all I, I've had a bunch of shopping that I didn't want to do, and rapping I didn't want to do, and then I got to schlep myself. Wait, over. you're a rapper? Yeah. <laughs> the term <laughs> is rapist. Ah, and I, you know, I, I, I'm hanging out with these people. They're all acting like schmuck and talking politics and all kind of whatever. And then I got this junk. I mean, I bought this other person good stuff, and I got this junk, and that's all I'm, you know. And it's you know, and it was just loud, and I didn't really get to talk to anybody. And I'm just glad it's over. Yeah. That's Christmas, okay? And it's uh, sometimes it's like, okay. And then you're saying, wow, that was okay. Yay. You know, that kind of thing. Sure. But what you need is a holiday to say, that's over now. Right. Uh, right. Well, so, we have often, uh, you know, ruminated on the fact that January 2nd is the best day of the year. 
Uh, so you're Jan- saying we need to put this official, we're going to need a term, we need some branding. Let me tell you what, January 2nd is my happiest day of the year because sure. all of this is over. Now, here's what I'm saying. We, what we need to do is a ceremony where we're talking about forget you yeah. 2008. Yes. So we call it FU 2008. Yes. yes. Uh, or eighteen. That's sure. what. Well, we can those. whatever pick we, your year of choice. We I, should forget both of those years. That's to because I I'm still I'm old. You know yeah, what I mean. That's cool. But here's what I'm saying is each year yeah. it's you know F U 2019. Yes. F U. You know. You know what I mean. Yeah. You, uh, the, just you know each year. Yes. Themed to that year. Yes. But you say, and you had because we had to we had to purge ourselves yes. of this year and all the junk yes. that has driven us crazy all year. That to me would be pretty exciting. I think it's fantastic. Maybe watch the purge. Nothing gets you in the FU twenty eighteen spirit like watching the purge. Right. I have a pitch for a a modified theme song. Okay. So we're all uh, aware of, you know, New Year's Eve, you do the old Lang Syne. Right. Robert Burns. So there's the beginning line of that. I think we could repurpose for this. And it, it's it's from the 19th century. It's public domain, so we can do this. Should old acquaintance be forgot? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now I'm going to make a suggestion. You tell me if I'm gone too far or not far enough. Hit me. Ah. Okay. We, we, we take an object emblematic of... What you really, really didn't like in the yes. past year. Ah. You make a papier mache yes. image of it. Yes. Take it in the backyard, burn it in effigy, oh. and dance with glee around the flame. It's the official FU effigy. There you go. Love it. FU effigy. Love it. I think these are all strong ideas. And you know, one of the great things about the holidays is it's it's a good time to reminisce, you know, yeah. and, and think yeah. about, you know, the 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 days of old. And of course, you, if you don't know, you should know, we, we have the bridge every single Tuesday, right. no matter what, yep. you know, makes no difference. And so um, it, from time to time, actually, Tuesday will be Christmas Day, yeah. um, which is actually the case this year in 2018. Yeah. Um, but this goes back about 10 years ago, and it was, it was Tuesday, and it was the bridge, and it was Christmas Day. And and we had the bridge. We had a little bit earlier than, than we normally would, but we but we had it. And then Glenn and I and another buddy of ours, we celebrated. I think we really brought Gripesgiving into the Christmas season because we had our Christmas dinner at the International House of Pancakes. <laughs> and then we drove across the street to see Alien versus Predator Two <laughs> Requiem. I remember that. Yeah. That yeah. may be the most Christmassy Christmas of all time. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a, a, a not your conventional way of celebrating. I, I've heard that story many times. I love it dearly. I think what I love most about it in this telling is how quickly that movie title descends. <laughs> so we went ahead here, and then we went to see a movie. What'd you see? Alien. If you stop there, you're like, oh, right, like yeah. art house, yeah. Yeah. alien versus predator. Ooh. Yeah. Two. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Subtitle, colon, requiem. Requiem. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it just keeps getting worse. Yeah. Just... Merry Christmas. Now, I'm, I'm picking up, 
Because I'm following the thread with yeah. what you're saying. I assume what you're building towards is half of the family dresses up as aliens. Yes. The other half dresses up as predators. Yes. And then they hunt each other. We we requiem at each other. Yes. With sticks and the, I don't know, whatever. You Are know. you a xenomorph? Are you an intergalactic bounty hunter? Both are cool. Right. Pick one and we, we go at it. Also, to go back to uh, Jed's previous idea, I think... This is not really on this topic, but we could make some money off it somehow. Alien versus Predator the Purge <laughs> is a mashup that I would love. And then you could put one out every year on January 2nd. Right. Yeah. That's you know, right. You'd have like a year, you know, put out a you know Star Wars movie or whatever at Christmas. Like it's a new Alien versus Predator Purge. And that's our tradition. On January 2nd, we go see that. You know, you know what I occasionally do when I when we're when we're doing the show and I realize this may not be sane. Right. But I'm always, have you ever seen that show Drunk History? Yeah. Where basically you have people. It's exactly what it well, sounds like. Yeah. Do you describe it. You, you uh, there's know a, there's better. A, they, there's a British version and an American version. So it's basically they, they find a celebrity comedian, somebody who like knows pretty well a story from history. So they, they had Lin-Manuel Miranda come on and do Alexander Hamilton's you know, okay. story. But they get them steaming drunk. Okay. And right. film that while they're telling it. Okay. And then they have very well-known comedic actors act out the scenes. Okay. But they do that afterwards. Right. So they're actually mouthing the drunken swearing slurring right. of the yeah. narrator. Yeah. <laughs> and it is perfection. Yeah. So in my mind, I think people should take the audio of this podcast and then just act out a live version. Sure. Of it. Yes. And for some reason, I just picture an adorable family in the christmas decorations half dresses aliens half dresses yeah. predators and yeah. just a dog pile i mean just scrapping it out yes you know what i'm talking about like a pillow fight i'm not talking about like actual you know bloodshed but you know i mean just 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 full you know, on the full complement of nerf weapons yeah, absolutely that's, you know you know Granny has like a padded, uh, you know, baseball bat and just whacking, <laughs> yeah. just taking it out on some people. You know what I mean? Sounds Christmassy to me. I, I think we'd all feel a lot better about Christmas if that happened. I definitely would. Absolutely. And and to close this out, um, I think that, and feel free to play along at home and send us these on social media. I think the, the big thing, the big moneymaker on Christmas, obviously, is the media. So right. we've got we've got movies covered. We've got decorations covered. I think music is really, there's a lot of songs. Right. Um, so, but again, a lot of them are old sure, right. and public domain. So we could, uh, twist them mm. for our own purposes and kind of repurpose them for our holiday. So again, feel free to come up with your own and let us know. But I, I came up with deck the halls with bowels of silence. Yes. Yeah. Have a holly jolly shut it. <laughs> yeah. I like that. And I, I think, like and we, you, cause you can't, they can't be all secular. Oh, holy stop. Right. Nice. And you just sing your January, your FU carols. Yeah. January 2nd. You get the children, their alien, traditional alien and predator costumes. That's it. And I think it's going to be the most wonderful, magical time of the year. FU 2018. Yeah. Uh, Indeed. And, and understand that's, that's short for forget you. What else would it be short for? Well, I don't know. That's, that would be the only possible thing that it could be short for. Sure. Uh, okay, well, with all that insanity out of the way, and we're just so deep in the holiday thing, none of that sounded insane to me. That all sounded perfectly reasonable, I'm sure. Totally. You know, once we're listening to it later on. But now, in staring down the barrel of a month of Christmas, yeah, children dressed up as Alien versus Predator, you know, 
around the FU tree all seems fine. Dude, would you not buy Christmas cards designed by H.R. Geiger? Oh, <laughs> yes. You know you would. Just disturbing, uh, you yeah. know, just haunt your yeah. things. And yeah, yeah. Just picturing somebody, you know, it's that time of year going through, just opening the the three Christmas cards came in the mail that day. And it's a reef and it's, you know, glittering. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that right. one's from Jed. That one's from Jed. We'll let's put yeah, that aside. Yeah, that's there. right. Yeah, and with that HR Geiger reference, I declare emergency off. Now, as always, it is a special episode of the podcast. It's a special time of year, but it's always a good time to sign up for Bridgebox. Michigan.com/slash/bridgebox oh, only eight dollars a month. You can support the work we do here in Chicago. What Lee does down there in Tennessee. It is the number one way that folks who are blessed by the podcast can support what we do. We are here in the month of December. We're talking about prayer. Get sermons from Glenn and myself, get some songs, some Bible studies, all sorts of good stuff. We're going to take you to this best of episode. So like I said, we're going to have some old questions. We'll have a Christmas piece from an older bridge podcast. But first, we're going to take you to a written piece that was performed by Jed by our friend Ryan Wentz from right here in Chicago. Ryan was doing some volunteer prison ministry for quite a while. We wanted to get this to you because we talk a lot on the show about uh, prison ministry. Uh, we don't we don't talk about it as much as we might as we do on like the Bridge Loud and some of our other shows because it's a hard thing to describe. It's it's a pretty unique environment and it doesn't so there's not necessarily a lot of crossover with when someone writes in a question about you know whatever their thing is doesn't always cross over the jail but it's it's an informative experience for us. It's important to us and we wanted to give you this impression of someone who is new to it. We know we talk a lot about you know trying things, volunteering, getting out there. And we wanted to give you uh, just this snapshot from a really good friend of ours. Ryan's a really good dude. He's got a great heart. He's doing a lot of good ministry in the downstate Illinois facility as part of his education. But to get this uh, perspective of someone who's uh, new to prison ministry, who's seeing it through their eyes, we'll take you to that piece from Ryan and the rest of the episode right now. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do. Finding the Presence of God Behind Bars written by Ryan Wendt. Every Monday morning, I walk into the visiting center of Stateville Correctional Facility. I'm a seminary student, and I'm here at a prison to go to class. The smell of bleach fills the waiting room. The lights are fluorescent and bright. The floor is marble gray. Rows of dark blue chairs, organized in rows, fill the space. On the left side of the room, you see a wall of lockers. Most physical objects, from your car keys to your phone, are forbidden past this point. And so, the lockers, for temporary storage of anything you forgot to leave in your car. We are not alone in the waiting room. There are women and children there, waiting to visit their husband or their dad. Many of these visitors come from economically disadvantaged backgrounds, which stand in significant contrast to the other people in the waiting room, and those would be the lawyers and attorneys, all dressed up in their professional attire. The emotions in the room vary. There are young children excited for the chance to see Dad, and there are adults who are, understandably, very sad, very weary, and very tired. Behind bars, procedure rules the day. When our group of seminary students arrive, we sign in. It's just a piece of paper attached to a brown clipboard. And then we wait. Eventually, we will be issued our all-important badges, red and white visitor passes that we clip onto our clothes. The wait can be long and the room can get noisy. We try to be mindful of this and keep our voices down, but, of course, young children rarely feel such restrictions, and so the volume can quickly swell, aided by the echoes from the concrete bricks that make up the building itself. 
Behind the bulletproof glass, the on-duty officers grimace with each peak of noise. Eventually, it's our turn for inspection, and they emerge to pat us down, searching for weapons, drugs, or other contraband materials. Access to the prison means traversing a series of checkpoints. First the pat-down, then the metal detector. Then a sergeant who takes us into a smaller, secondary waiting room, three at a time. Eventually, we're outside again in a small courtyard. We take a short walk to another, older, much larger building, a building that looks like it's past due for upkeep and repair. Before we go through the double doors of this gigantic structure, we pass under a large cement awning. At long last, we walk into the foyer of this huge structure and we see some dear friends. We are greeted by men who are incarcerated at this prison and work in an old-fashioned mailroom. They are always happy to see us, friendly, a smile on their face. It's a warm welcome and we are grateful for it. We walk up a staircase that curves around to the main lobby. This is where the warden and other key administrators have their offices. And though they are on the other side of the prison paradigm, the people that work in these offices are almost always friendly to us and are happy to see us as well. In the main lobby, on the second floor, there are metal bars and a gate that lead us to a dimly lit hallway and yet another checkpoint. Here, the officers call off the students' names one at a time until they've exhausted their list. Check marks are made on another brown clipboard, and then it's time to be searched again. Our books are examined, our notebooks inspected. Every book, every notebook, every student. When this procedure is complete, they open the gate and say aloud, Gate 2! We walk into the next long, poorly lit hallway, and we hear the gate slam behind us. To our right and left, there are rooms where we see men either visiting with their loved ones or talking with their lawyers. In one room, a man covered in tattoos is overwhelmed with joy to see his newborn daughter. In another room, a muscle-bound guy in a blue prison outfit breaks down in tears as his mother breaks difficult family news. I should have been there, he sobs. But this is a prison, and being there with loved ones, whether for the good times or the bad, simply isn't an option. We take a quick stop in the employee cafeteria. An older man with long gray hair pulled back in a ponytail is painting a beautiful, incredibly detailed mural on the back wall of this prison cafeteria. I go up to him and tell him that he's very talented. He looks me in the eye and smiles and thanks me. We shake hands and I smile back at him. As I walk away, he tells me to be blessed. I stop and turn around and say thank you. As we leave the cafeteria, we go back out into the dim hallway. It's time for another security check, another inspection. We each take out our driver's licenses and show them to the corrections officer standing at the gate. As he opens it, he gives his prepared, sarcastic speech. Welcome to Disney World! All rides are fully functional. Please always keep your arms and feet inside the ride. Enjoy your stay and be sure to visit our gift shop on your way out. And then the gate slams behind us, because this is definitely not Disney World. The reverberation follows down the long, wide hallway. To my right, I see a younger man, shaved head, sitting in a caged-in holding area. We lock eyes with each other, and I ask how he's doing. He sighs deeply and says, I will be all right. I'm thankful to God for this day. His words hit me in the chest. I don't know that I could muster a drop of thankfulness if I was sitting in a literal cage. The moment brings tears to my eyes. I came to this prison to spread faith, and yet I find that God was here already, stirring in the hearts of men dealing with impossible difficulties and giving them strength and peace that passes all understanding. 
Blinking back the tears, I simply agree. You are right. No matter what we're going through, we will be all right, I say. And we will be, because nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even prison bars. All right, our next question came in anonymously to our Tumblr inbox. It says, how do you rejoice in your singleness during the holiday season? Whatever. I'm... Stop it. <laughs> I'm mid-20s thinking a relationship, but unsuccessful thus far. All these holiday events, such as parties and family events, leave the single ones sticking out like a sore thumb. You don't fit in with the couples. You don't fit in with the newly separated or divorced adults. Definitely don't belong at the kids' table. How do you manage the void and loneliness while making the most of the season? Lynn? Talk to us about being happy at Christmas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I love that phrase. How do I rejoice in singleness? Um, and I'm sure that was uh, the title of the... Uh, the book? The book yep. or the, uh, the youth retreat or whatever it was or the college seminar or whatever. Uh, that's not, you know, the, you don't exactly rejoice in being single. I think that's, 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 yeah, that's also different than rejoicing in God during a time when you are single. Yes. Rejoicing in the singleness. Yeah. I, I rejoiced in my singleness, but I don't think it's what those people <laughs> are talking a, about at all. That was an entirely different book. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, so let's, uh, uh, manage our expectations on that. Um, I think, you know, one of the things though, I would like to say to, uh, single people, single Christian people trying to fit into social situations, family situations. Whose, as I believe they're referred to. Exactly. Um, is that I think there's a, a sense of married people are in the married people club, and they all like each other, and they all hang out with each other. Well, I've seen that secret handshake. Yeah. <laughs> they teach you at brunch. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the truth is, for whatever weird reason, when you're, when you're uh, a couple you tend to have couple friends you yeah, know so that's yeah. kind of how that goes but you don't you know being on the married side i can reflect back to you we don't feel like we are in a special club and that you're not in it and it's awkward that you're here and you're yeah. like single it's like you're getting your singleness on me yeah it's like <laughs> it's the, wrong that's, glass sir. <laughs> exactly it doesn't work that way it's it's really not like you're standing out in that sense yeah. you know um, uh, you know, uh, usually when we get together, uh, uh, as a staff or, or, you know, with our interns, we had our, our, uh, Christmas, uh, extravaganza today. We had all our people here, but, uh, extravaganza is not the word you use in the emails. No. <laughs> what was that word? I can't remember. But I can't recall. It was biblical. Yeah. The idea is, uh, when we get together and we had, you know, uh, Grace, the intern came yes. back. Nice. We had Austin, the intern, came over and all that with their significant others. If you'd like to come to college in Chicago and intern for us, it's a great thing, but Glenn will force you to change your last name to the intern. That's correct. Uh, it's worth it for the experience, y'all. But we had, but there's a tendency to to uh, you know to think, well, if I'm a single person, and everybody's in a couple, then that's going to stand out. It's going to be a thing. But I, I think that's something. Sometimes it's a standard procedure for other people to think that on your behalf, even though you don't feel that way. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Yeah, people. Are, when are you going to be dating, and who are you seeing, and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's important not to internalize that because I, I don't think that's a real thing. And I don't think it's a real concern. You shouldn't feel like a burden or 
pressure that that in some way, if you have someone, you're going to fit in in a special way. I think that's true. I think one of the things, and I, I put this in the blog post and I said this, and bless your heart, person wrote this in, we love you and we're we're happy to try to help. And we've all you know had similar feelings. But when you find yourself thinking, I wish I could hang out with the cool divorced people. Yeah. You may have lost a healthy just aspect yeah. on what relationships yeah. hold in your life. And as Glenn pointed out, you've probably heard some, probably read some crappy Christian book that you right. like get in your brain. That's not your fault. But it's one of those things of if I just, anytime you find yourself thinking, if only this one thing was different, all my life right. would be happiness yeah. all the time. Yeah. That's a problem because happiness is a choice and you can start that right now. Right, Jed? Mm-hmm. That's totally true. There's actually, um, there's a bunch of research behind this. Uh, and I encourage, if you're looking for a good book to read anything by Henry Cloud, you should yeah. go read immediately. But one of the things, and he's a, a doctor, a counseling psychologist, you know, very cool dude. One of the things he talks a lot about is and, that. And he's also a Christian. He's dude. also a Christian. from dude. a Christian perspective. He writes about a lot of the, the the research over the last 20, 30 years related to human happiness. And here's what they found. Circumstances are about 10% of your overall happiness. Yep. That's it. If you met the person of your dreams tomorrow, that would force you to be about 10% happier than you are today. None of us feel like that's true. Right. But that's statistically, numerically true. About half of your overall happiness is completely up to you. It's just the way that you choose to live your life, the things that that you choose to do. And I say that to say that um, you can choose during the holidays uh, to hang out with your friends and people that you love and have a great time. You you can do that. It it involves creativity. It involves work. It involves taking an active role in managing your life. But you can do that. I'll give you an example. I believe it was the first Christmas that Hallie and I, and Hallie's my wife, the first Christmas we were married, we um a lot of the external circumstances in our life were really tough. I mean, really super hard. We had a, a, a lot of drama going on with, with some relatives, and, and funds were very tight. It was a lot of difficult stuff. But we decided we know all these people that are in difficult situations, and they're you know kind of stuck with relatives and whatnot. So we took our minivan, and we converted it. We termed it the roving oasis of sanity. Right. We, we made it a roving luau. We had high sea. We had right. Christmas lights. We had Hawaiian ukulele music, and we went around to all these people that we knew were having a rough time, parked in front of their house or apartment or whatever it was, and gave them a place to come and be away from the crazy people for 20 minutes. There you go. We took you know candy and hot cocoa and, and Hawaiian punch and the whole thing. It was great. We had a great time. People still speak of it. People still speak of it. They had a great time. But what that originated from was us deciding we're going to take charge of our own experience. Yeah. We're right, going to right. decide to have a happy Christmas. We're going to decide to have a happy time. We're going to choose happiness. You can do that too. It probably won't look like driving around in a minivan for you, but you can choose that. What If you don't actively choose that, what will be chosen for you will not be happy. And, and that's the thing that you're really looking at is uh, my default option is ending up with Aunt Mildred asking me for the hundredth time when I'm going to meet a man. And that's, right. that's not going to be happy. The good news is you can choose something else, and we want that for you. I think that's absolutely right. And part of that choice is we've talked about this before in relation to other things. It may be weird to think about in relationship to this, but I think it's a really strong point, is that idea of I want to talk about a little bit what Jed closed there, where if you just leave it up to be cast to the winds and figure out whatever happens, that's not going to go well. Yep. The idea of mission, we don't always think about, like, I'm going to have mission for my Christmas break, but that would really help the situation out a lot, right, Lee? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love the creative, just the creative thing that Jed and Hallie came up with right there but you know if you said okay my christmas break i anticipate that it's going to suck for these reasons because i'm single and i'm going to all these things well you know and and when you look at if you analyze that what's behind that i'm the only lonely person in the room 
Okay, so that's that's the thing that you're down about, and that makes perfect sense. So what if you say, okay, it's something that you've heard these guys say on the podcast before, um, uh, and uh, and and we'll go ahead and and give props to it, this all originated with Glenn. So we're just gonna give go ahead and give props to that. But the, credit, it's, really, it's a Christmas miracle. It, it never happened. The concept is the concept is called give away the thing that you're wanting to get. Yeah. And yeah. and so you know you're you're the problem that you're feeling is I'm the lonely one in the room and everybody else has somebody to talk to and somebody to pay attention to them and stuff like that. So I'm the lonely one in the room. Okay. So what if you change the channel from that with this, the thing that's breaking your heart? And you find, okay, somewhere there's somebody lonelier than me on this Christmas right. break. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find them, and I'm going to give them a listening ear. Yeah, I'm going to yep, make yep. this Christmas break about them. Now, maybe you got a granny in an old folks' home right there in your town. Guess what? You take some cookies and something up to her room and, a, you know, uh, uh, take a, take a, a CD of Christmas tunes by Frank Sinatra from when she was a kid, you know, from when she was a, you know, teenager or young mom or something like that, you're going to make her day. And then no you doubt. ask her stories about, you know, what, what was it like when you, what was Christmas like when you were raising my mom or whatever, you know, whatever it is, <clears throat> tell me some stories. Uh, my, my wife's grandmother actually lives in a nursing home, a kind of assisted living place in our town. And Christy will go over there and she'll turn on the voice memos on her phone and she'll just ask Nan questions. And Nan will just tell stories and she's recording these stories. She's getting some cool stuff, man. But here's the thing is now you've changed the channel. Now you're not just yep. dreading the fact that you're the loneliest person in the room. Now you're making another lonely person's day. By becoming the person that hangs out with them. And I, I know, I know that right now you're thinking, that's not going to fix it. Dude, you try something like this, it will completely revolutionize your day. Completely. Yeah. Because what yeah. you're doing is you're changing the channel off of your own misery. And you're, and you're giving your life away for somebody else. And our Lord said, when you try to hold on to your life, you lose it. You give it away. You're going to find it. That's, yeah. that's a mathematical yeah. equation you can take to the bank Every single time you give your life away for somebody else, you are going to be happier than you could have possibly thought. You, you go and serve somebody this Christmas break, give away the thing you're trying to get for yourself. You're going to be ecstatic. It's going to be your best Christmas break. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely right. I'm going to close this out on what Gwen May pointed out there in that rundown of the Christmas party. I've been in this situation. Here's the thing. As we often talk about, no one else is thinking about you. Yeah. Right. I mean, there may be as the one auntie who's really, but she's basically trying to entertain herself yep, and actually right. uh, talk about your situation. So if, if other people aren't disqualifying you, there's no need to pre-disqualify yourself right. from fun and enjoyment. <laughs> Just go. And if someone says, I'm sorry, I'm going to need to see your relationship card before they're this party, you don't want to be in that party, and that's yep, okay. Right. You can go find something else to do. But there's this idea of the thing I, I feel awkward about, everybody else can smell it on me. Right. And it's Christmas. Everybody's got a million things to do. They, they have, there's a fu the, every married couple there had a fight in the car over yes. about the cookies and what do we do with cookies and why yes. didn't you like the cookies enough. Everybody's dealing with their own stuff. Just go. Relax. It'll be, be great. Cool. Yeah. Or go to less things. Yeah. Because Christmas mm. parties are not to be enjoyed. That may just be <laughs> my own personal feelings flowing through there. But sometimes you go, I'm going to go to the office party with the people that I spend all the time with, but I'm not getting paid for this time, so that'll be the difference. It'll be great. <laughs> Maybe just don't go to that. 
That's a possible solution. Well, there was a well, there was an actual sentence that Matt texted me this week, which was, uh, "Both of us being introverts, there's nothing happier than canceled plans." <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, that was that was a great a sentence so great. I shared it with my wife, and we we both high fived over it. It's a joy when you get that phone call that says, "Sorry, you can't make the you can't make the thing." Oh, well, oh, no. that's too bad. Uh, oh, no. But I still get credit for being willing, though, right? <laughs> right, right. That's the magic. I'm going to go ahead and mark that down, so yeah. But as we're pointing out, there's the flip side to that, of the loneliness thing. We say, oh, man, I wish I had somebody to go to the, uh, somebody to go to the movies with and have some popcorn. Go find the single friend, find the grandma, find the kid in the middle school group, and just go buy them some pizza and have go to the movies with them. Yeah, that's right. I, I know, as Lee pointed out, I know that sounds like a 10% solution. It's actually about a 90% yeah, solution. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's true. It's not the same thing. It's not going to replace a relationship. It's not what you need. But that's actually going to address a lot more of these issues than you think it's going to. Yeah, no doubt. No All right, we move on to our final question here. In the past few months, I've started setting boundaries with my mom, but she is very against them. For example, one time I told her she... Something she said was not funny to me, that it offended me, and to please not say stuff like that to me anymore. And she basically told me that what she said wasn't offensive and she had done nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. I, told her I, I told her that I do not want to see her because I'm really busy with work, finances are super tight right now, and spending time with someone, her, who isn't very nice to me is not an appealing proposition. Her response was, you said all that just to end with something not only rude, but not true. Nice. Being assertive doesn't mean being rude. Setting boundaries doesn't mean keeping someone away from you or even or never seeing them. Your understanding of both is not based on the Bible. And then she went into the fact that all of our issues boil down to forgiveness, and I haven't forgiven her. The ways my mom has been that I've shared with you guys, it's not right or normal, right? And the boundaries I've set are okay and necessary, right? There's a lot of stuff in there, but there's a lot of uh, kind of real-world application of what this yeah. kind of next level we talk a lot about. We got a lot of questions from people saying... Here's what this uh, relationship is like. We tell them to set boundaries. Yeah. So, Glenn, get started off on kind of these are the kind of problems that almost inevitably arise when you go to set that. This is how people behave. So, as the person setting the boundaries, what do we? How do we process these things we're hearing, and how do we hold strong in that? Well, first and foremost, uh, setting boundaries is not a time where you're looking for approval. You're not asking Mm -hmm. for them to like Mm -hmm. this. Um, that's not a fair expectation of them. Even yeah. if they've been inappropriate, if you're telling somebody I don't like your behavior, they're, they're going to feel a little bit uh, embarrassed about that. They're mm. going to feel a little hurt. They might kind of want to lash out a sure. little bit. As long as that's not a horrible, horrible thing, then I think uh, you can kind of chalk that up to, well, you, nobody likes hearing uh, a boundary put on them, and so that's it's gonna it's gonna be a little bit of an unpleasant moment. Uh, and I think uh, it's okay to kind of allow someone a bit of a face saving way out. So, mm. for example, if I say um, you, uh, you're always saying a certain thing and that really bothers me, whatever. If they say, well, I don't do it all the time, but I I know I do it a lot, and I know I should cut down. You could say, sure. yeah, that's, yeah. Sure. Yes. The, the, in other words, if the point is made and they understood it and acknowledged it, but they're kind of being a little, uh, 
you know, unpleasant in the midst of that. I think you have to talk that up to, you know, hey, this this is kind of part of the territory. To that's, that. that's not what this is, though, just to be clear. Yeah, that's really not what this is. Um, here's what I'm getting out of what your mom is, is saying. You have to put up with me. Yep. And here's the the response to that that, that I would want to make. No, I don't. Yeah. Uh, here's how all human relationships work. If you are a jerk, eventually people will go away. Yep. That's a fact. That's not, you say, well, love overcomes and family and you always have to. Nope. Sooner or later, if you keep being a jerk, eventually you will drive people away. Right. That's the human contract that we're all engaged in here. Uh, if you just make life unpleasant and you don't take responsibility for your actions, people don't want to be around. Um, uh, yeah, I think it would be a bit extreme to say, I want you to dance like a monkey every time I see you to entertain me and, and make it enjoyable for me to come out and, and visit with you. But I think if you're saying, look, um, it's it's a significantly unpleasant thing for me to come and see you. I don't enjoy it. And uh, if you have no interest in making it enjoyable, if you have no interest in making any changes, then I think you're pretty much okay with not seeing me. Mm. Uh, so I'm not sure why you would guilt me off that. I don't know why you would, uh, you know, try and put a, a negative thing on there. Um, but you know, uh, then there's this forgiveness piece, uh, which is interesting because I think you want to ask yourself: uh, Are you know, is it you know, you're saying, well, you know, I'm really busy, finances are super tight, you know, making the money for the train and so on and so forth. Those do sound like excuses from the standpoint of, is it that, or is it that she bothers you, or is it both? If it's both, say it's both. If it's, if it's you know, uh, it's already unpleasant, and man, you're taking it over top with schmucky behavior, that's what you want to say to her, you know, uh, so that we don't want to use excuses. We don't want to deflect and blame it on the train or the work or whatever if it's really an interpersonal thing. Uh, she says this is a result of you not, forgiving her and there's there's two different elements to that one is if that's true uh then uh it's worth it for you to forgive her you don't you don't want to carry that baggage around you don't want to have to deal with that negativity uh within yourself the other side of that is um the bible does talk about forgiveness uh and uh that it comes on the other side of repentance yeah but there isn't yeah. any repentance here. So you don't get to call Bible. That's, yep. uh, we were just talking about the guilt bit. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, I, I you know, came up in a bit of a dysfunctional family, and uh, I was one of the, the, the few people there that was going to church at that time. And so every now and then they would call Bible. Yep. They would say, you can't do this because of Bible. And uh, uh, 100% of the time, the theology of that was completely off, and, and it was really a tool of manipulation. Um, uh, so uh, recognize that, um, uh, that, that it's important to send a message that, that, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. My Christianity is not something that you can use as leverage against me. Yep. Um, uh, and finally, I think this bears pointing out uh, she's talking about uh, this is not nice behavior. It's not nice for you to point out uh, that she does things that you don't approve of. It's not nice to explain that you basically don't want to hang out uh, over there and that you have other things that are making that difficult, uh, that she feels icky when you tell her she's behaving like a schmuck. Uh, but here's the thing. 
Uh, nice isn't in the Bible. Yeah. That's a that's not a concept that that's uh, biblical. That's it, it's a cultural concept that floats around in Christianity a, a lot. But honesty, truth, uh, having uh, relationships that are based on authenticity and, and transparency, where we're both accountable for our behavior, we're both responsible for not irritating the snot out of each other. Uh, that that those are biblical ideals. Uh, but uh, you being nice to me while I mistreat you is not a mm-hmm. biblical ideal. That's absolutely right. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick up on this. Um, we talk about as we talked about, this is pretty common, um, which doesn't make it less painful. We're not saying that, but it's relatively common when you try to set a boundary with someone. But of all the groups in the world that yeah. people try to set boundaries with, parents tend to be the most resistant yeah. to that idea. And not again, not that I excuses any of it, but is there can understanding the particular reasons that even a functional parent might be slightly resistant to this, can that help us kind of affect our game plan going forward? Absolutely. And um, I think you're exactly right to point that out, that this is, these are especially touchy people about boundaries, parents are. And the, one of the reasons that we want to kind of uh, kind of focus on this piece of it is because of the way that you write the question, you're like, I didn't set these boundaries poorly, right? And this is out of pocket, right? I mean, as you're asking this, we're all looking at this going, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, your, your, your parent doesn't see it that way because, because a lot of parents don't. The, the, one of the problems is that parents, when you start your life, your parent is kind of the boss of everything, they literally decide what food goes into your mouth and what clothes go onto your body and what time you go to sleep, what time you nap, what time you wake up. That's how your life begins. And as somebody who's worked with high school and college folks for the past 15 years, there are parents who do not change that situation in their minds all the way through a 20-year-old child. Um, mm-hmm. They decide how that child dresses. They decide where they go. They decide what they eat. Right. They decide who they're friends with. They decide everything about their lives. And of course, healthy, functioning parent child relationships, you're going to transition out of that boss, kind of coach, micromanaging everything relationship into. Uh, we're both adults at some point, and we're peers who are choosing to have a relationship together. We have a closer relationship, hopefully, because we have history, and we have affection, and we've gone through some conflict. That's a healthy situation. But that transition right there, where a parent kind of graduates out of micromanaging everything about your life and becoming less of a coach, the way I like to talk about it is like they become less of a coach and more of a cheerleader, somebody who starts out calling all the shots and winds up becoming a person who encourages you, who's there for advice, who's there to pick up the pieces when things fall apart. That is not a natural transition for a lot of folks. And so when you start setting boundaries like these for your parents, a lot, a lot of parents react very, very poorly to this. It doesn't mean that you set the boundaries wrong, but it does mean that they don't understand what world they're in. Because one thing, and this is a really hard thing for us to realize as kids, that it's very easy for those folks who are listening to this, who are parents, it's very easy for you to understand this. There's a way at which, you know, I look at my 12-year-old daughter and I see that she's 12, and yet I can still see her when she was six months old in that same face. I can still see that same face right there. I can still see that same expression and same looks in her face. And so it's that's a hard thing for parents to get their mind around. I tell you all that to say this. 
it's not that you set up the boundaries poorly, and it's not that you need to change the boundaries, but understanding that may affect the way that you have some of these conversations in trying to help your mom see some of this. I know that you... Uh, I, I know that you took care of me when I was little. I know that you, you, you know, you raised me. You did everything. Now I'm an adult, and now I'm grown up, and now I'm going to be making some of these calls for myself. And maybe that can inform the way some of these conversations go. A lot of this stuff with your mom is super out of pocket, but this is a hard transition for a lot of parents, and most of them do not do it well. Mm. That's a fantastic point, and Jay, I'd love to get you to uh, close out on this by talking about it's it's with boundaries it can be with a lot of other family stuff and other relational stuff um and we're telling you we're, we'll, we'll all say it that you're right in this this the way your mom's behaving is and there was more in the email obviously we have to cut it down for what we were on the show but uh the way your mom's behaving is not okay and the way she's reacting to you setting a pretty reasonable boundary is indicative of super not okay it's kind of yeah. stuff under the service right but when we have uh when it's just a he said she said it's, that can, as Glenn pointed out to you, that can have a way of, well, maybe I wasn't in the best mood and I'm not always. So what are the things we can do in our own life to um, make sure we're balancing all this in the giving everything the right amount of uh, weight as we kind of move into these relationships? It's a great question. Well, my wife Hallie has dealt with a lot of these issues. So I sat down with her earlier today and I asked her what she thought. So I'm, I'm just going to tell you what she said. And I think is very, very wise and very, very smart. The thing is, before you start, I just want to, this, as the, the host, I think asking your wife is kind of a performance-enhancing drug yep. right. as far as the show. So that's, uh, Jed's going to have the smartest answer because he asked his wife, but that's cheating. we're going to dock him some points for that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's due. So th- the thing is, um, the, the conversation that you're having with your mom on some level is this. Mom, there are limits on your behavior. Right. Um, there, there are things I'm not okay with. And right. your mom is coming back to you and saying, no, there are no limits on my behavior. Right. Okay. Well, this is, this is the key thing. There, there are no healthy relationships where there are no limits on behavior. That's right. All healthy. I can do whatever I want, and you just have to take it, is never something that's acceptable in right. a relationship of any kind. In, that's right. In any relationship anywhere on earth, there's, right. there's always an exit mechanism. You can quit mm-hmm. the job. You can break up with the significant other. Um, you cannot visit mom. And even if you want to comply with that, you have your limits. She'll push you past. Exactly right. Exactly right. So we need to be crystal clear. She is saying, no, I should get to do whatever I want, and you just have to put up with it. And that's right out. That's yeah. that's a thumbs down. But there's something, and it's it's true for parents in particular, but it can true for a lot of people, that they emit what we colloquially refer to as a reality distortion field. Mm-hmm. Just there's something about the way they, it's the Jedi mind trick. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Right. right. You know, there's something about you can go into that conversation knowing, no. Mom is wrong about this. This is unhealthy behavior. I am right about this. And yet mom starts talking and you go, well, maybe. Right. I mean, I... She did carry me for nine months. There are things about forgiveness in the Bible. There are things in the Bible, and I don't know, and honor thy father and mother, and gosh, maybe I'm the jerk here. I don't even know. Okay, that's that's the reality distortion field. And if you can dig it, there are certain people where they're good at doing that, and that's how they get through life. That's right. Is they just... They're confusing to deal with. It's 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 right. it's weird to think about it, but there are people that have just kind of that Jedi mind trick ability. They can they can right. just do that. And there's something here's one of the really unfun things about growing up is that there's a lot of stuff that you need to do that's the right thing to do, and it feels super wrong. Right. And it feels super unnatural. The idea of I need to sit my mom down and say, Mom, you are misbehaving. 
Right. And I'm giving you a timeout. Right, right. That feels so backwards. Right. That feels right. so off, even though it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So part of what you need is you need a moral backup in your life. You need people who know the situation, who aren't just going to tell you what you want to hear, but who know the situation and can say, no, you're right. You are, you know, you are right in what you're saying. This is the right approach. But we'll also call you. You know, if you sit down with your mom and you start calling her names, those some people say, no, no, no. That's not that's not acceptable. You right, can't right, you can't right. be that. You know you got to be cool about stuff and whatnot, because those people that you can rely on that will tell you the unvarnished truth of what you're dealing with will help to counteract that reality distortion field. Yes. Part of what your mom is counting on is that there's no one in your life that will do that. Mm-hmm. There's no one that you can sit down over a cup of coffee with and you can tell them all this and they will say to you, "Your mom is wrong." Right. Right. Now right. here's something you can work on to improve that might help that situation. Right. You right, know. Right. You, you know. You can forgive her. You if can you're forgive still harboring stuff. Was your voice raised when you're saying all this? Because right, right, you right. can. You can. You know. Be different in the way that you present it. But your mom. Bottom line, your mom is wrong. Mm-hmm. Your mom's kind of the fact that you don't have those relationships in your life. Right. right uh, because right, right. that is. That's how you turn off the rowdy distortion field mm-hmm. is you, you get those people that can be a, really a body to you that can, that can you know, help you stay grounded to what reality is. But the other thing that they can do is they can help you double check your boundaries for the sake of your sanity. Mm-hmm. There are a few things more psychically painful than pushing for something that your intellect says is right and your emotions say are wrong. Right. That yeah. will really mess with your head. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a term that psychologists use, and that term is cognitive dissonance, and, and that's what we're describing here is you kind of – you believe two opposing things really at the same time, and it really messes with your, with your brain. So what a good pastor and a good mentor and a good group of fellow believers can do is let you know which of the things you're insisting on are right and good and biblical and which things – are not. In other words, if you're going to your mom and saying, you can't say abusive things to me. I'm not right, going to put right. up with you. can't call me names. You can't call me fat. You can't call me stupid. Those right, things are right, right out. Then those people can say, no, those are good boundaries. Those are, right. those are solid boundaries. If you're going to your mom and say, you always need to tell me I'm wonderful every time I talk to you or, or we can't. Right. That's, those people say, those are not good boundaries. That's, right, right, that's right. not healthy. You're well, actually could. asking for something that's not good. So right. having people, that, again, that can be objective to that situation, that can keep you grounded is both how you turn off mom's reality distortion field and how you keep yourself sane. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have those people in your life who want to start building those relationships, if you're not sure how to do that, email us back. We'd love to talk about how you can begin to build some of those relationships, and that's going to help you navigate this relationship with your mom. Amen. One of the weirdest things about Christmas to me, one of the most amazing powers it has, is that it makes people enjoy waiting. Whether it's marking days off the calendar, kids' excitement on Christmas Eve, or even just the ever earlier beginning Christmas season, there seems to be a genuine joy and pleasure in the anticipation. Maybe Christmas is fun to wait for because it always arrives. Every day you know exactly how far away December 25th is. It's not waiting for something that might happen, or should happen, or could happen. It's waiting for something that will happen. Of course, for the people around that first Christmas, they didn't know it was coming. The wait for the Messiah had been thousands of years long. Some people had even just stopped waiting. But at that time, 
when no one except a scared young couple, some shepherds, and a group of foreign astronomers knew it had happened. It happened. The promise fulfilled. The long-awaited had arrived. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. They knew exactly where the Messiah was going to be born. Yet no one was walking around Bethlehem checking every newborn boy. The leading religious scholars didn't have a field office out there on the scene. A young woman who was claiming to be divinely pregnant, giving birth in the city where the Savior was prophesied to be born, was put out into the stable because there was no room. No one, not one person, not one cousin, spoke up and said, You know, guys, just on the off chance she's giving birth to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, maybe we should just scooch in a little and make some room in here? When men came from far away because they claimed the heavens themselves had declared the King of God's people had been born, no one even tagged along to check it out. They just said, Well, call us if you find anything. It's hard to blame them, really. It had been 400 years since God had spoken to his people through a prophet. The Roman Empire had conquered the area in that time. The reason Joseph and Mary were headed to Bethlehem, after all, was that the emperor had decreed every citizen had to return to their town so he could more efficiently tax them. Trivial matters, like the fact that a pregnant, terrified teenager might have to make that trip, are of no concern to emperors. God's people were suffering, and he was seemingly silent. Things were dark. If you've ever gone into a dark place, eventually your eyes adjust so you can see a little better. Maybe that's what people had done in this dark time, as they still do in dark times today. They adjusted. If you've ever been in a dark room with eyes adjusted to that environment and had someone suddenly turn on the light, you may be able to sympathize just a little with why people were disturbed at the idea that a great light had come. Light can be uncomfortable. It can even be scary. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. Like when the angel appears to Mary, here he has to tell the shepherds not to be afraid. Just because they bring good news doesn't mean a huge being made of supernatural light isn't frightening. Hope can be a scary thing, too. It means living your life in a way that depends on something that will happen, but you aren't sure when or where. If you're in a totally dark room and someone told you where the door was, it would still be tense to walk in what you think the right direction is. A light would help, but even then you would still be hoping that things you were told were correct. Someone to guide you is what you really need. You need a person, not a promise. You don't really trust in a promise. You trust in the one making you the promise. Christmas is, at its heart, not just about a birth. It's about the one who was born. This birth was different because of who was being born. God's promises are different because of he who is making them. Faith in God is different than blind hope because of the one in whom we are putting our trust. God's promises may seem too amazing to be true, or maybe seem like things that could happen to someone else at some other time, but not here, not now, not for me. Christmas is a reminder that God comes through. No matter how amazing the promises seem, the one who is promising them has done such amazing things before. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoiced before you as the people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for the burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. Those aren't things that might happen or could happen. They're things that did happen and will happen. It's very easy to get so used to living in the dark that we stop looking for the light to come. Sometimes the hope itself seems painful. It seems easier to be downtrodden, to be cynical, to live as if things are never going to change. Maybe that's why we don't mind waiting for Christmas. It's a reminder that even if it seems like the darkness will never lift and the silence will never be broken, God is coming through on his promises in ways we can't imagine, using people we never would have guessed he would use. Christmas is the reminder that no darkness lasts forever. None of God's promises go unfulfilled. A kingdom of justice and righteousness seems like something so unlikely that hoping for it is foolish. Lives of joy, peace, and light may seem too fantastical to believe could ever happen. But remember that on a night long ago, it already started. Unto us, a child was born. A great light has come. Nations that long in darkness walked have now seen a glorious light. On them who dwell in shades of death, the light shines heavenly.